NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Alec, and you're listening to Pod of Fame, the podcast where we break down former athletes decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about baseball today. Opening day was last week. I know I was jacked up. I, I was about to slam half a dozen Polish sausages just knowing that there was a game coming on in a little bit that, that day for lunch. I did not, though. I actually went to Gibson's that night. If you're from Chicago, you already know what I'm talking about. Gibson's, Chicago Steakhouse. Go to it if you haven't already. I'm getting off topic already, but I'm jacked up about baseball. Baseball's back. Baseball season is is great, right? It's something on TV. Your team plays almost every day. It's the backdrop from spring to the fall. Um, and you just, I, don't know, I just, baseball sees something special about it. So baseball's back. We're, of course, doing a baseball episode today because of that. And we are doing someone who I've been wanting to do for a very long time. I was just trying to find the right moment. I think baseball season back is perfect. And that person we're highlighting, that player we're highlighting today is former New York Yankee catcher Thurman Munson. And whether or not he deserves to be in Cooperstown. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Thurman Munson's career is journalist and author of several books about Major League Baseball in the 1970s, and that's Dan Epstein. I'm very excited to bring Dan on. I've, I've read one of his books, Stars and Stri- Strikes, which is excellent. Um, so I'm super excited to get him on. But before we bring Dan on, let's talk a little more about Thurman Munson. Thurman was a star for the Yankees in the 70s, won two World Series titles with the Yankees in 77 and 78, won the AL MVP award in 1976, was a seven-time All-Star and three-time Gold Glove winner. Um, I'm going to read Thurman's stats out right now. They're going to sound low, but if you don't know much about Thurman Munson, I'll explain in a second. So his career war was good, 46.1 at the catcher position, just over 1,500 hits, 113 home runs, 701 RBIs, a point. 292 batting average, so just under 300 batting average. However, that seems a little low, maybe historically, right? When you're thinking about players in Major League Baseball, it's because Thurman Munson, if you don't know, passed away very young while he was still playing at the age of 32. He passed away during the season in a plane crash that honestly shocked not just New York and the Yankees organization, but the entire country. Um, it's very tragic when one of the the greats of the game goes down at any point, right? But definitely while they're still playing um, during a season. And Dermot Munson's plane went down and and tragically again passed at 32. So he still had some years left uh, to play. He only made to 32. So obviously his stats are going to be a little lower. He only played so many seasons in the major leagues. Again, he accomplished quite a bit, right? Two World Series. You heard the hard war he won. But where Munson really shined was his, the postseason. Playing three World Series, one, two. Over, over, his post, over his career, in 135 plate appearances in the postseason, batted 357 with three home runs and 22 RBIs. He did even better when the lights were the brightest in the World Series, batting 373 with one home run, 12 RBIs, and 72 plate appearances. And also was a monster defensively um, throwing out a, a ton of batters um, in, in, in the playoffs during his career. And if I actually pull it up right now, so 
So, yeah, I mean, if you look at him in the postseason, he in 30 games, he threw out 24 base runners, so almost one per game, which is pretty, pretty impressive. So he's doing it both at the plate as well as behind the plate. So he's a, a dual threat, right? So great playoff performer. Also, I was talking about great defense, right? He was top five in the league um, in caught stealing percent. So how many times or the percentage in which he's throwing people out there trying to steal seven different seasons led the league twice. And there was also top five in assists at catcher position for eight seasons led the league three times. So excellent defender. So excellent batter, great defender as well. Um, Munson though, just to be clear before we bring Dan on, he's not on the ballot anymore. Um, he was first on the ballot in 81, 1981. So they actually, um, he, he passed away right in 79. Usually we have to wait five days to be on the ballot. They were like, nope, we need Munson on the ballot right away. They put him on the ballot in 81. So you think, okay, he's going to get in the hall of fame. You only do that. So you can get someone in the hall of fame right away. No, he only got 15.5% of the ballot that year. Never gets above that the rest of the time he's on the ballot. He's off the ballot by 95. So, so now it's up to a committee to, to elect him. And he's part of what's considered modern air baseball, which is anyone that played really from 1970 to 1987. So that committee meets every so often. The next time they meet actually not till 2024. So they'll be voting for him to be a, as part of that 2024 class. So it'll be a few years from now. We're recording this in 2021. I'm sure I'm going to replay this when he's kind of more up for consideration again. So if you're listening 2023, what is up? How is non-mask living? I bet it's great. But yeah, he's not, gonna, again, even going to be in the conversation for the Hall of Fame again until the class of 2024. Um, so he has some time, but yeah, he never really even stood a chance when he was on the ballot. I think there's momentum now with advanced metrics. His advanced metrics look great. Um, now in comparison, they were really looking at that back in the eighties, but yeah, he's a player who never really got his due when he was on the ballot. Now he's getting some momentum from modern committee. And Dan and I are going to talk about whether we think he deserves to be in the hall of fame. And again, do we think he'll ever get in? So with all of Munson's facts out of the way, let's bring on Dan. All right. So I'd like to welcome journalist and author of the books, Big Hair and Plastic, a funky ride through baseball in America in the swing in 70s. And the book Stars and Strikes, Baseball in America in the Bicentennial Summer of 76. Dan Epstein to the podcast. Dan, how are you doing today? Um, I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me, man. And and you left out an important word out of one of those. Uh, oh, titles. please correct me. It's big hair and plastic grass. Plastic grass. That is an so important that, part of that so book that's, title. Uh, that's that's uh, on several levels. It's very very important. But uh, but man, it's great to be here. And and thank you so much for inviting me. Of of course. So uh, Dan, today's topic, as you are aware is the Hall of Fame candidacy of Thurman Munson, who was one of the best players of the 1970s. But as most of my listeners probably know, tragically died in a plane accident in 1979 at the, the very young age of 32. And he had just turned 32, actually, about 56 days earlier. Um, you know, he, he passed away at the age of 32. The Hall of Fame for baseball, Cooperstown, Usually you have to wait five years before you're up for the Hall of Fame. However, with Munson, they they like, hey, we're not going to let him have to wait five years. We'll give him the ballot. He was on the ballot in 81. And they, they've done this in the past. Uh, the, the 
one kind of uh, closest to Munson was Roberto Clemente. When he passed away, they had a special election. They got him in the Hall of Fame right away. So anyway, they kind of knock out that five-year waiting period. Munson's on the ballot in 81, and he gets 15.5% of the vote. And, you know, he never gets above that. Uh, he's on the ballot all 15 years, which back then they were on the ballot 15 years. Last time he was on the ballot was 95, but he never got much momentum, which is really curious to me because – they waive that, and then he never really gets much consideration. Now he's on committees where uh, every so often um, these different committees based on different areas of baseball will vote. Um, he's part of the Modern Baseball Committee, which is any candidate that played from 70 to 87. The next time they vote is 2024, which is a few years away. Um, but again, Munson is someone who a lot of people think he should be in the Hall of Fame. A lot of grassroots people talk about him all the time. So, Dan, I want to talk about him today, and you are the perfect person to have in the pod to talk about Munson's career. One, I think, as I said before we got on here, I think you're a historian of the 1970s baseball era. You, you've written these two books. You are a go-to for anything 1970s baseball. And then two, and maybe more importantly, you have a new book coming out next month about Thurman Munson titled and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I was wrong on that one. <laughs> the captain and me on and off the field with Thurman Munson, which you co-wrote with Ron um, Blomberg, who was a teammate of Munson's in the 70s. Right. So you are the perfect guy. I'm sure you've been doing even more research on Thurman over the last couple of years as you've been writing this book. And I want to touch on that at the end. But Dan, first things first, when you think of Thurman Munson, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I would say... Uh, uh, the first things that come to my mind are grit, determination, and an absolute love of the game. I think, you know, Thurman was somebody who loved baseball so much that, you know, it, would, it completely consumed his being. It was, you know, this was a guy who, unless he was really, really hurt, like wanted to be in the game. And, and ideally behind the plate, um, you know, there were, there were times later in his career where he was, where, you know, uh, he was injured, but in order to keep his bat in the lineup, you know, he would play first base or play in the outfield and, uh, but, or, or at, at DH, but he really, and we talk about this a bit in, in the captain and me, like any time that he had to, you know, uh, ride the bench or just like be be in the game as a dh it drove him crazy he wanted to be you know hands-on at all times he wanted to be working with the pitchers he wanted to be calling the pitches he wanted to be directing the guys you know in the infield as far as their positioning uh he was you know he he was officially named the Yankee captain in uh, 1976 by George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin. But he was, you know, he had the captain mentality from the very first game uh, he played in the big leagues. He, he wanted to take control. He, he, you know, was a student of the game, loved the game, just like constantly absorbing things. This is a long-winded answer to your question, but I did, you know, this, this is, this is what, you know, this is what Thurman was, and this is what I think of when, you know, when his name is mentioned. Yeah, no, and, and I would, and I think that what's, what plays into his candidacy, right, it's, that's an intangible. I think, when I think of Munson, it's all these intangibles about him. Uh, the first yeah, captain, I, as you said, since Gehrig, and again, he was an excellent player, and we're getting to that later, but 
in terms of just being on the field at all times, playing through, I mean, catching, I think we know a little more maybe today than we did back in the seventies or before how, how much that damages your knees and the overall, you know, just like toil behind the plate of that. But he was, you know, he caught more innings than you think of the seventies. You think of Johnny bench, you think of Ted Simmons, you think of Carlton Fisk, all hall of famers. He caught more innings than all of them during the seventies. Um, and he was, again, as you said, he was always behind the plate and that, that grit is how I've seen through just reading anything about Munson. That is what people describe about him. Now, I don't know as much about this, but again, he, he passed away, right, in, in 79. People say he was on his last legs, though, anyway. there The injuries were kind of taking their tolls. His knees were in bad shape. If he wouldn't have passed away, Dan, how many more years do you see him playing? Because you look at, again, those other 70s catchers, Fisk played until he was, what, in his mid-40s. Right. I don't think that's Munson, Munson kind of maybe what he would have done, but how many more years do you think he would have played if not for that tragic accident? I think about three or four. I think, he, you know, he was starting to be on the downward slope. I don't think, I don't think he could have played three or four more years as the Yankees' starting catcher. I think he would have... I mean, although, you know, there was talk going into the 79th season that he wasn't going to catch very much, that they were going to, you know, put him at first base, have him DH, and he still caught, the, the, you know, by far the majority of the Yankees games that year, you know, it was, it was really hard to, to pull him out of that. But I think, um, I think they would have uh, found a way to, you know, put him in the outfield, put him at first, put him at DH the next couple of years um, had he not died in that tragic plane crash. Um, I think, you know, I mean, he was still, he was still a really good contact hitter. Um, I believe that if they'd been able to get him out from behind the plate and his knees would, you know, been given him some time for his knees and his shoulder to recover, I think he could have, you know, some of that power, stroke would have returned uh, you know certainly not back to 20 homers level but I think he would have still been a very you know solid part of the Yankees lineup and I think you know his leadership would have been you know would, would have also been very important to the Yankees in in the next couple of years I mean you look at the 1980 and 81 teams and you know they go back to the postseason and I think what they were missing, uh, and the reason they didn't go all the way those years, one of the re one of the things they were missing was Thurman's leadership. And I think if he had managed to, you know, to to live through the '79 season, heal up in the off season, come back as you know a sort of like a you know glorified utility man in, in a way, um, and and led the Oh, either the 80 or 81 squad to a World Series championship, I don't think there would be a lot of doubt today. I think it would be, I think he would be in the Hall of Fame. I think, you know, a guy who could, you know, led the, the team to three or maybe even four uh, World Series championships, that's, you know, that would count a lot towards his candidacy. Yeah, very much so. So, Dan, move to our second segment here. We call this That Memorable Moment. And this is really, you can make it whatever you want it to be. We were trying to say, like, what is, what is Munson's defining, Hall of Fame defining moment? This could be down to a play, a game, a playoff series, 
an entire season. It can be whatever you want to be. And trust me, over over my time doing this, I've heard some very interest. I've heard a specific like at bat at times, but it could be whatever you want it to be. When it comes to Munson, what would you say his defining or member, most memorable moment is for you? Okay, for me, I'm going to go for a game, a specific okay. game. And, and that specific game is game three of the 1978 ALCS. Okay. This, is, this is Yankees Royals. They're meeting up for the third straight time uh, in the playoffs. And uh, they are, you know, going to game three tied uh, one game apiece. And, and uh, this is at Yankee Stadium. And this is, you know, this is a really key game uh, because if, because the Yankees have Ron Guidry scheduled for game four, but if they lose this, so if they win this game, you know, going, up, going into game four with Guidry on the mound, his 25 win season, you know, things look good for the Yankees. But if they lose game three, then they're down two games to one. And, you know, this is five game uh, playoff. This, there, there's a very good chance, you know, the Royals are a great team. If they lose game three, there's a very good chance they don't come back to, uh, to win the pennant. They, they um, um, you know, two very evenly matched uh, teams. And this is the game where George Brett kind of sits, kind of takes the Royals on his back and he hits three consecutive solo home runs off of Catfish Hunter. You know, just a phenomenal Herculean feat. Uh, but he's their leadoff hitter, so there's nobody on base, um, you know, any of those times. And, you know, Catfish Hunter is, is you know, is definitely on the downward slope of his career at this point. And, um, you know, he, he's not a pitcher who gets rattled easily. He's certainly been in the postseason many a time. But Thurman, you know, Th Thurman and Catfish have this real connection. And, you know, getting, getting, giving up three home runs in the first six innings of your, you know, of a playoff outing, that's going to rattle most pitchers. But Thurman really kind of kept him on the beam and just, you know, uh, you know, okay, you've given up these home runs that doesn't matter. Like just, just, you know, keep throwing, uh, keep, you know, keep bringing it in there and, and, you know, we'll get out of this. And so, so, so that's part, one part of Thurman's game is that, you know, whoever's on the mound, whoever's having a, a bad time, like he gets out there, he kind of cools them out, um, gets them refocused on the task at hand, obviously with catfish hunter, you know, that's not as difficult to do as with, you know, a, a younger, more inexperienced pitcher. But then on top of it, you know, he brings all these other elements of his game to it. Um, he's um, um, in, in uh, at, the, at the top of the fourth inning, uh, Freddie Patek, who's the, you know, one of the fastest guys on the Royals, uh, gets on base with two and, and then with two out, tries to steal. And if he you know, if he makes it, he's in scoring position and, and, uh, you know, puts the, uh, um, um, you know, uh, I forget, actually, I forget what the score was at that point, but, but, you know, it was tight and it could have been a very key uh, Royals run, but Thurman guns him out at second, the inning's over, they go into the bottom of the fourth um, and, um, 
uh, Thurman doubles in the bottom of the fourth, and then he scores to uh, bring the Yankees up three to two. Um, in the sixth, with a score tied at three, you know, George Brett hit another home run. Uh, Thurman hits a one-out single that moves Roy White from first to third. And then uh, Roy comes home on, a, on Reggie Jackson's uh, sacrifice fly. That puts the Yankees up four to three. So again, so th- these, are, these are two runs that Thurman has had a you know, key role in manufacturing. Uh, then, uh, you know, with the, the Yankees up four to three, uh, Goose Gossage comes in in the eighth and completely, you know, uh, uh, runs into trouble. The, the Royals score uh, score two runs against them to take the lead back. Uh, Thurman actually uh, lets a pitch get by him. It doesn't lead to a run, but it's you know it's part of this kind of like you know inning where it looks like things are falling apart. And and this is something we talk about in the Captain and Me that Thurman had this amazing ability to compartmentalize. If he's hitting, you know, if he's in a in a batting slump, it doesn't affect how he deals with, you know, the pitcher. It doesn't affect how he calls the game. If he messes up in the field, it doesn't affect how he approaches the plate. You know, his 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 next at bat. He he, you know, is a master at just kind of like forgetting it and moving on to the next thing. And that's and. So he does that. So so the the Royals are up five to four, bottom of the eighth. Uh, Thurman comes up with um, uh, with one out and and one on, and you know he's he's uh, uh, he he hasn't hit a home run in two months because of his injuries affecting his swing. And then you know in this key situation, total clutch, uh, he hits a massive home run off of Doug Bird that puts the Yankees up six to five. Reggie Jackson calls it the, like the longest home run he's ever seen at Yankee stadium off the bat of a right-hand hitter. And, you know, so, so it's just like this ability to just, you know, step up, you know, literally step up to the plate when, you know, the game is on the line and he, uh, you know, puts the Yankees up six, five with a two run home run. Then top of the ninth, he, you know, works with, Goose Gossage to put the, the Royals down, you know, one, two, three, and they're up two games to one heading into game four with Gidry on the mound at Yankee stadium. I mean, and, you know, and that, that winds up being a very tight game too. The Yankees uh, pull it out two to one, but it's like, if the, if they don't, again, if they don't win game three, they're in a very precarious position and Thurman really takes it upon himself to, you know, push, yeah, do everything he can to to uh, to to bring it home for the Yankees, and so so to me that is the defining Thurman Munson game. Yeah, and you know it's it's very fitting. You you picked a moment in the playoffs because Thurman Munson's one of the great playoff performers in, in baseball history, not even at the catcher position, but just in general. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if you if you look at his numbers both on, on defense and offensively. I mean, you can't find, I mean, uh, he's not the, uh, he's not a home run hitter. I, he hit a home run in this game. And as you said, it was the first time he had hit one in what, two months two there, months, yeah. <laughs> but, but in terms of getting on base, coming up with clutch hits, I mean, in the world series alone, and I know that wasn't a world series game, but he hit 373 
over the course of the World Series in right. 72 plate appearances. Yeah, um, that, that's not too bad. That, that's not happening. I mean, you look at, again, Johnny Bench, that's the, the top top catcher of the 70s, one of the best of all time. He, he played, he won two World Series in the 70s as well. He was batting 279. I mean, he's hitting the home runs. He's in the RBIs. Right. But in terms of getting on base, I think Thurman hit nine singles in, in one of those World Series. It's the most singles in a World yeah, Series. Yeah, 76. Yeah, things like that. And then you also, you know, brought up Danny. I think in that game, he threw someone out uh, against the Royals in the in the earlier innings that game. Munson had an arm and a really quick release behind the plate. And, um, you know, in 30 postseason games across his career, he threw out 24 people trying to steal a base, almost won a game. Um, and he threw it out at a 45% clip. I think that gets lost. He won three gold gloves. That, and whenever anyone talks about, you know, defensive catchers, they only look at gold gloves. But he had an absolute cannon there. He made it a number of errors throughout his career, but he also – doubled people up quite a bit he could in his early years before the knees kind of gave out he could get out behind the plate faster than anyone else and pick up any kind of bun or squeezes and I think people forget in the 70s it's very hard to believe now if you watch baseball today but in the 70s people were just stealing bases left and right especially the teams he was playing against whether it be the Reds in the 76 World Series or as you mentioned the Royals the Dodgers in the World Series those teams had base stealers and Thurman kept him honest and gunned out a number of people in the playoffs. And, and he was someone to be feared of. And that was needed in 70s baseball. Yeah, well, I mean, we one story in The Captain and Me is that when Ron LaFleur came up with the Tigers, there was a lot of buzz about him because, you know, here was a guy who hadn't really played baseball, organized baseball, till he, he was in prison. Uh, but he was so fast that, that you know, the Tiger scouts were just you know, really wowed by, you know, what he could do on the base paths. And so Thurman was excited to face the Tigers because, you know, he knew that LaFleur was going to try to steal against him. And, you know, he wanted, you know, he wanted that kind of head-to-head competition, like, okay, let's see what this guy can do. I'm going to, you know, I'll, like, I'll bet I'll throw him out. And, and LaFleur actually, like, stole I think twice on him in the first game that they uh, that he played against Thurman but it was so close that and and Thurman was so quick and and that really like more than the strength of his arm which you know I mean compared to say bench he didn't have that kind of arm but his release was insanely quick and it was one of those things where like you know the ball was moving towards second like like you know almost like as soon as it got to his glove, it, it he just had this incredible release. And a lot of times he would throw a sidearm or three quarter just to like get it or even underhand just to get it out quickly. Um, but, you know, it was, it was pretty accurate. And, you know, he, and he made it so close with LaFleur that LaFleur was kind of freaked out and didn't really run against him too much after that, because it was like, wait a minute, like I got this insane jump on him. Like how was the ball there? that quickly so i mean that that yeah i think that does get lost and 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 he i think uh league average for american league catchers in the 70s was or or at least yeah in 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 the 70s was 34 percent caught stealing thurman averaged 44 45 percent and so you know so that's 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 an incredible 
jump. And, and there were a couple of years where he he was throwing like, you know, 50, 60 percent of the guys who ran against him out. So, I mean, that's that's really impressive. And 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 I think that that's something that really should get factored into his, you know, his Hall of Fame candidacy. Yeah, no, most definitely. So shifting to our last mini segment before we get to court here. Uh, Dan, we call this and twins. And what we try to do here is just look at Cooperstown today. And again, no one's going to be perfect, of course. No one's an exact replica, but who most reminds you in terms of either how their career played out, their skill set, or just you watched them and you watched Munson and you saw some similarities. Who most resembles uh, Munson that's already in the Hall of Fame today? Well, I'm going. I'm going to say. I mean, he resembles. If you look at it, the catcher he most resembles is also not in the Hall of Fame. But I think there's an argument that he should be in the Hall of Fame, and that's Bill Freehan of the Tigers. I think Freehand was an amazing catcher. Uh, I think they were very similar defensively. Um, Thurman might have had slightly had the edge offensively, although I think Freehand had more power, at least in his uh, – well, actually, that's debatable. But anyway, I think they are very close. Um, but since Freehand isn't in the hall, let's go with somebody who is, which um, – you know, I'm going to pick somebody from the same era, um, which is Ted Simmons. Yep. And, you know, and again, like the, the catchers, the catcher position is really underserved uh, by the Hall of Fame. There are only 16 catchers in the entire uh, uh, hall. And uh, Simmons is one. And Simmons was was a guy who, who you know, was a recent addition, uh, also like, you know, a a prominent catcher in the seventies, but, you know, I'll be honest, like, you know, great hitter. And, and I love Ted Simmons. I mean, he was, Simbo was definitely one of my favorite players in the, in, in the seventies, but it was all about his bat. I mean, he was, he was a great hitter, great switch hitter. And, but he was not known for his defensive prowess. And, and I think, you know, Thurman is a guy who, you know, they were similar in that, I mean, Simmons had more power. He was more of like a 20 homer a year guy, but like they were both like great about getting bad on the ball. Like they would, they went up there. They did not get cheated. They did. They, they were not looking for walks. They were looking to make contact. And the, uh, so I think they're pretty similar in that respect. I think, I think Thurman was a much better catcher defensively. And I think, I, I think how Simmons career plays out is similar to how Thurman's would have played out had he lived yeah. where it's like, you know, okay, this, this guy's a DH, this, you know, Simmons, um, you know, as he's, as he's slowing down, as he's, you know, losing his tools behind the plate, he gets traded to, to Milwaukee who are an American league team at the time and should still be an American league team in my opinion, but that's a discussion for another day. So, but so he's allowed to, to play, you know, to be DH. I mean, the, 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 the starting catcher on those, those Brewers teams were, was uh, Daryl Porter. So it was, it was not like, um, you know, it, it was, 
he he didn't he didn't you know had Simmons had a long career, but it was not necessarily a long career as a catcher. He, he uh, you know shifted to DH. Uh, also, I think played some first base. Um, you know, and it, it was mostly about keeping his bat in the lineup, and I think that's that's how it would have worked with Thurman had had uh, had he been you know uh, had he lived. Um, the other thing too is I would say like you know if you're gonna gonna um, compare the two, um, you know, and, and again we go back to uh, defense and you know Simmons was a was definitely an average catcher when it came to throwing out runners, uh, but I don't think. You know, I mean, I, I was alive back then, and I don't recall anybody having the conversation of like, oh, yeah, man, Ted Simmons is a great team leader. Ted Simmons is incredible working with the pitchers. Ted Simmons, like, you know, can memorize, you know, what every opposing hitter and base dealer is doing and, like, bring that to the game. I mean, and that's no knock on Ted Simmons. Like, I don't recall, you know, I don't recall that conversation, you know, with the possible exception of Bench and Fisk. I don't recall anybody saying that about uh, a '70s catcher, other than than Thurman, and uh, and so you know you've got Thurman's leadership capabilities. Uh, you and then he is you know how many teams did Ted Simmons lead to the postseason promised land? It's like he you know his best years were spent with an incredibly mediocre team, you know in St. Louis, and you know again not his fault. But Thurman was, you know, with, um, you know, one of, you know, perhaps, you know, one of the great teams of the 70s, the, the mid-late 70s Yankees. And, you know, in, in a city where, you know, you know, he's under a magnifying glass at all times. And, you know, uh, and, and on a team that was filled with controversy and tumultuousness. You know, he's dealing with Billy Martin. He's dealing with George Steinbrenner. He's dealing with Reggie Jackson's crap. You know, it's like the Bronx Zoo was the Bronx Zoo. It was, it was insane. And if you weren't a guy who could focus and keep your composure, you know, when, when it mattered, like, you, you know, the team would have spun out of control. And I, I think Thurman deserves so much credit for keeping those teams like focused, like, you know, and, and, you know, as much by example as anything else, like whatever was going on in the front office, whatever was going on in the clubhouse, you know, when you went out on the field, like Thurman had it under control. He, and, and he was, you know, his focus was completely undimmed. And I think his teammates really fed off that. And I think that's, you know, incredibly important to, you know, his, his legacy. And when you're, you're looking back at what, you know, who Thurman was and what he meant to the team as a player and a person um, and what he meant to baseball in the seventies as a player and a person, I think that that's, that's all part of it. And again, you know, you talk about intangibles that those are all intangibles. You can't, you know, look at the box score and go, Oh, well, you know, these guys, I mean, maybe you can say, well, they, these guys hit better or these guys pitched better when Thurman was behind the plate. But I think overall, you can't really, you know, it's not like, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't hang numbers on everything that Thurman meant to the Yankees. Yeah. And then you know, the Ted Simmons, Simmons just got uh, elected by a special committee last year. So yeah. he didn't get in by vote at all. And he, you know, he played 21 seasons to Thurman's really, I mean, 
technically yeah. played 11, but it was really 10. That first season, he only played like 30 games. And if you look at, I mean, Simmons played an extra 10, 11 seasons there. Of course, he accumulated more numbers lifetime, but, you know, he never, Simmons never finished in the top five, you know, the MVP. Munson, of course, won, as you said, very limited postseason success. He was only there a few times when he was. He did not perform well. And if you want to get, you know, statistical and everyone in baseball talks about war all the time, Munson's war is only four wins less than Simmons, even though Simmons played an additional 11 seasons. So yeah. that's, that, that speaks volumes there. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and again, like, like I'm not knocking tip Simmons. No, like, no, not great. at all. I think he's deserving. I'm happy he's in the hall of fame. Yes. Uh, I love how, you know, he has many, many baseball cards where he looks really stoned uh, <laughs> on them. I think that that in itself is a hall of fame legacy. <sighs> Uh, but I, you know, I, I, yeah, I just think that Thurman, you know, well, we're getting to the court section. So yeah, we're going to get to court. And, and before we do, I just want to throw out two other names to you of, of who I actually had down here. So one, um, is someone who had a similar career in terms of it was short yet. He still made the hall of fame. That's Roy Campanella. Um, of course the all-time great Brooklyn Dodger, um, you know, he only played 10 seasons. He did not get into the MLB until 1948. Of course, no fault of his own. It was just the color barrier at the time. He broke in right after Jackie came in. And then he had retired very early in 1957 due to a serious car accident he got in um, where he was paralyzed after in a wheelchair the rest of his life. So a tragic career cut short by that. Um, you know, he won three MVPs. So obviously his peak was much higher than, than Thurman's. He was a home run hitter. Um, he won worlds once he won one world series in 1955 with that famous Brooklyn team, um, but also had a cannon arm behind the plate. Um, didn't have gold gloves really when he was playing, but he would have won, I'm sure yeah. many, um, but this is actually insane. I had to throw it out here. So his career percentage of throwing out base dealers was 57%. That's wow. first all time for Roy Campanella. <laughs> but then context Thurman was 44%, um, which is really good. I mean, that's that's better than well, Bench. It's better and, and, than Simmons. But and it's in an era where there was a yes, lot more base deal. Exactly. But exactly. But Campanella, right? Three MVPs, all of that. He did not get in the Hall of Fame till his seventh try. So when it comes to Cooperstown, again, uh, listeners, we we know we talk about football in here, basketball. You can have like a four or five year peak in football, especially if you're running back in the Hall of Fame. Same with basketball in the Hall of Fame. Baseball is the one Hall of Fame where they really do, like, unless you're a Sandy Koufax or a Roy Campanella, they really do look for you to have a long period of time, especially because baseball players can play forever. It seems like 15 to 20 year seasons. That's what they expect. That's really where Munson, again, we're going to get to court here, but I think that's where Munson falls short. Even someone as great as Campanella, three MVPs, took to his seventh try to get in because he only played 10 seasons. So I thought that was a very similar career. And then, Dan, I gave, I gave you a warning at the beginning here. I was going to throw a football reference out right. here. I don't normally do, but it just – these two, to me, are so similar, both 70s. I, I, I think of Roger Staubach all the time when I think of Munson. He was a guy who didn't have a long career in the NFL because he played at Navy, got in really late. Um, but he's a guy who was gritty a guy who was a winner. He was a part of a giant franchise, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys. That's the franchise. And in football, Yankees, of course, the franchise. And baseball, 
won two Super Bowls with them. Didn't never put up gaudy stats. You're never going to look at Staubach's stats and be like, oh, that guy should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Look at all these yards. Look at all these passing touchdowns. It was not what he was about, but he was a winner. His teammates gravitated to him. He was the captain of the team, and he was the face of the franchise, and he got in the Hall of Fame immediately after he retired. He retired in 80, got in 85. He's someone where I think maybe Yankees fans thought Munson would, you know, follow a similar path when it came to Uh Cooperstown. He retired. He's Mr. Yankee in that time period. But he didn't. And that's just, well, again, the differences in the Hall of Fames. Yeah, well, I mean, to, to be honest, well, first of all, I think you're spot on. I think that's a great, uh, that, that's a great uh, analogy because, and, and I think Thurman being a big football fan would have been very proud to have, uh, to, to, to have been compared to Staubach. Um, you know, and in fact, I was, I was looking up Staubach's uh, stats the other day, um, and, and you uh, said you weren't a football guy. I, well, I'm not, but but uh, 70s football is a different story. Plus, I was reading this great book by uh, Frank Gurdy called uh, The Sports Revolution, which is all about how Texas in the 60s and 70s impacted uh, kind of the cultural change and social changes in a number of sports, including football. So, uh, you know, so I was like, all right, like, let's Let's go back and look at this. And I was surprised, actually, at how unimpressive, quote unquote, Staubach's stats are. And, uh, you know, but but again, I think like it's, it is one of those things where I think about like great quarterbacks of the 70s. Obviously, Staubach's going to be on there. Exactly. Like if you took and, and I actually because I don't know anything about the football Hall of Fame. <laughs> if you told me that Staubach was not in the Hall of Fame, I would have been shocked. And about 10 15 years ago, uh, when I actually, when I started writing Big Hair and Plastic Grass, I was shocked to learn that Thurman was not in the Hall of Baseball Hall of Fame, because I kind of checked out of baseball for for quite a number of years. So like, sort of like between 84 and uh, 98, 97. So, you know, I just kind of figured that he would have got in, in that period. And to find out that he didn't, I was confused. Yeah. No, again, I think in their sports in the 70s, they meant the same to their franchises. They honestly have as similar of careers as you can have if you're comparing a catcher in the major leagues and a quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. But it is it it really does. If I'm ever trying to explain how the Hall of Fames work a little bit, that is a comp I will throw out there because, again, Staubach was a first 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 year Hall of Fame uh, member and and. Thurman, again, he passed away now over 40 years ago, is still waiting uh, to get into Cooperstown. But shifting to our final segment here, Dan, we call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And this is where we kind of talk about the case for and the case against. And again, throughout this, we've been doing that a little bit here and there. Yeah. Um, but I, I before I kind of give you the floor and, and – have you make a, a case or what your main bullet points are. I want to do a kind of an exercise here. It's around the best catchers of the seventies. I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're the historian of the seventies. I look at the seventies as like golden age of the catcher. I, I think there's some, like you talked about, there's barely in your catchers in the hall of fame from the seventies, or I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In the hall of fame in general, from the whole history of the game. Right. 
But there's three from the 70s, and that's it is Johnny Bench. That's Ted, Ted Simmons now. And then that's also Carlton Fisk. And then you also have people like Thurman Munson and then also Bob Boone, who were excellent catchers in the 70s. There's probably more you could rattle off for me. But those are kind of the five I have as, as the guys of, of the 70s. Now, obviously, three of, three of those are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Boone is not, and I don't think he has a case really. But Thurman is the, the fourth guy who I kind of tear up with them. You talked about Simmons a bit earlier on how him and Thurman kind of match up. But you, could you compare and contrast for me both Bench and Fisk in terms of how they stacked up against Thurman Munson? Well, I mean, I, th- I think Bench is definitely the greatest catcher of the 70s and, yeah. you know, arguably the greatest catcher of all time. I, so I, I, I don't want to sound like Sparky Anderson at the end of uh, the 1976 World Series where he say where he said you don't embarrass anybody by by uh, compare you don't want to embarrass anybody by comparing them to bench but i mean clearly bench was you know the you know the high watermark of 70s catchers he's number um, 1 fit yeah number 1 fisk you know i think obviously i, I think fisk is an obvious number 2 um, from that era although a lot of that is is you know uh, I, I feel like a lot of his Hall of Fame um, presence is due as much to what he did in the 80s. I mean, he had an incredibly long career and a really, you know, like, like drawn out peak. He really, you know, especially offensively, he just like the guy could, you know, flat out hit, had, uh, um, you know, great power. And, and, you know, just in terms of, you know, cultural associations i guess i mean he's associated with this great the great red sox teams of the 70s uh you know that 75 squad that you know took took the reds to the big red machine to seven games um you know he was a big part of that obviously iconic home run in game six of the world series um you know i mean he he was great he was an all-star he he uh, I don't think he was as good defensively as as Thurman. I think uh, in terms of his handling pitchers, I don't think he was, you know, I don't think he was up there with Thurman or, or Bench. Um, I think, um, you know, Louis Tiant, who uh, worked with both uh, Thurman and uh, Fisk, uh, has said that he, you know, given his choices, he would rather work, you know, he would rather throw to Thurman. Uh, just because Thurman was such, you know, a, a computer behind the plate, like he just had such control over, over the game in a way that I don't think too many other catchers had, um, and 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 a knowledge. Uh, but you know, I think I think just offensive stats alone, Fisk has to be number two uh, from from that era. Um, so you know, and then, but I, I really feel like you know, as, as great as Ted Simmons was, I feel like Thurman was the number three catcher of the 1970s. And for a while there, he was the number, you know, he was certainly the number one in the American League. Uh, so, you know, that would, that would make him number two. I mean, you know, winning uh, uh, Rookie of the Year in 1970, winning the um, AL MVP in, in 1976. Um, you know, he, he really, uh, I, I think, was was kind of an iconic catcher in that period. Yeah. And, and Dan, I'm not going to lie. I'm and and I got to take your word for it, obviously, but 
I'm surprised you put Fisk so um, firmly in that number two spot um, and had months and maybe coming at three just because, I mean, Fisk had the better career. And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame today. He played he played 24 seasons. That I don't know how he did that. I don't know if he had robotic knees or what. But, yeah, he played 24 seasons. So he accumulated, as we talked about earlier, all, all of those stats um, because he played forever. And, that, and that's going to happen. But when, when I'm looking at, like, the 70s themselves, like, if I just – if baseball <laughs> – if Major League Baseball ended in 1980 and they just banned the sport for some reason, <laughs> oh, my God, that'd be terrible. If they did that for some reason, they're like, uh, this is no longer a sport. And I'm looking at just – and, again, Carlton Fisk started right around the same time. Um, Munson didn't. I believe they were kind of bitter rivals, uh, yes, right? Like, absolutely. Yes, They hate and each other. I mean, Yankees, Boston, it checks out. But when I look at it, and again, this is from an hour. I'm, I'm born 89, right? I'm not right. alive during this time period. I, I can read. I can talk to people in the, that have seen them play. I can, I can watch as much footage as I want, but I wasn't there. But I look at him, and, and Munson is the superior defensive player, yeah. um, both in terms of his, his approach with pitchers as well as his arm in throwing out base runners. Um, you know, if you look at the All-Star games, they're both making about the same amount of All-Star games during that period. MVP-wise, of course, Munson won it. Uh, bench won two. Fisk never won an MVP. And then I guess what stands out to me is, again, the postseason. You, you talked about Fisk's. He was, he was part of those great Boston Red Sox teams. Well, they never won a World Series during that right. time. We all know that. He had probably one of the most famous postseason moments of all time, of course. Maybe Goodwill Hunting made that more famous <laughs> uh, to my air. But, right, for the next right, generation. Right, right, the next generation. But he, he had that moment. But Again, as I said, Mun- Munson, he actually won two World Series. Um, I, you know, I think Munson maybe gets overshadowed by Reggie Jackson sometimes, Mr. October, that right. performance he put on. But again, as I was talking about earlier, when you look at Munson's um, postseason, it, it's just, it, it's unmatched. And especially his World Series is just unmatched. Carlton Fisk, you know, he played in the World Series. He batted 276. Right. Munson played what triple the amount of games or double the amount of games. At least he bad 373 in the world series. He had the memorable moments you talked about earlier. Just Munson is the superior player when it comes to that. And, and if you go into like really nitty gritty details in terms of just pure statistics from 1970 to 79, Munson caught more innings. He started more right. games at catcher caught more complete games, had more assists, caught more runners stealing, had more at-bats, hits, and a higher batting average than not just Fisk, but bench. So so I look at all of that, and again, career-wise, Fisk, of course, right. beats him. But if I'm just looking at 70s, I have it Fisk, Munson, or I'm sorry, I have it bench, Munson, Fisk, and then Simmons, and not only me, I had, I had to find, am I the only one thinking this? Am I getting too caught up in my research here? But Sporting News at the end of um, the century, they voted. And Sporting News, that's a reputable source, I'd say. Best American, be. yeah, right. <laughs> used to be best American League catcher of the decade in the seventies, and and they voted Munson ahead of wow. Fisk. So I actually didn't know that. That's... So so yeah. So so I I I, I took them as some backup at least there. But um, no, I was just interested that you had Fisk. Not that you had a. It wasn't even a debate to you. It was Fisk two well, months and three. Well, no, I mean, well, two things. One, like I'm being real careful here because I think <laughs> it, it's really easy 
Like, I don't want to be the guy who's like, 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 oh, you, you, you got a book on Thurman Munson. Of course, of course. you think he's of better course. than Thurman. No, you, you need know. to be careful. You're the coach's, you're the, this, um, you're the coach's son, right? Right, exactly. Coach has to be extra hard on that player, so you're being extra hard. And I, I get mean, it. I get but, it. And, and, and I, you know, and, and, and I think, I think Fisk definitely had more power. And, you know, and, and I'm thinking also just like perception at the time, like, like it was, it was very much a, um, you know, a rivalry, you know, certainly between Fisk and Munson themselves, but also like that was, you know, sports writers talked about it, baseball fans talked about it. And, and I mean, it was, you know, there was no clear cut winner at that point. What I was saying more in terms of, you know, Fisk being a solid number two is, you know, is the length of career. I mean, you, sure. you look at that and it's just so damn impressive. And, you know, like, like, and I know that like for so many people, Hall of Fame arguments are about the numbers. Yep. Did Fisk have better overall career numbers than Munson? Absolutely. Can't argue that. But you're right. You look at the 70s and they, you know, it, it was... Uh, Thurman, you know, Thurman was, uh, you know, de definitely far out of in front of Fisk uh, defensively, and and uh, you can make the case that he was the better hitter in that time as well. Yeah. So, um, Dan, before we get to final verdict here, we're in court. There's case for case against. If you just had a couple bullets here, what would you say? And again, we've talked about a lot of this, right? The right. excellent postseason play his ability to be both good offensively and defensively. Is there any other main bullets you would want to get across of maybe why he should be in the Hall of Fame? And then outside of maybe just his super short career, never accumulating all the numbers, not being a power hitter where everyone maybe is obsessed with how many home runs he hit because he just hit a little over 100 there. Pros and cons, anything else we're leaving off the table of maybe why he should be in the Hall of Fame and then also What's maybe keeping him out? Why did he only get fifteen percent when he was maxing out in that Hall of Fame vote? Well, I think I think a big part of it was his relationship with the writers, which huh? was not good. You know, I think I think you know he himself would have admitted he he for for some reason, and and it's not entirely clear to me where. I mean, I, I've I've done a lot of research about Thurman, <laughs> and it's not like there's not one incident where you can go. Okay, somebody wrote this, and that's why Thurman, you know, turned on sports writers. That's why he refused to talk to them. It seemed like, you know, it was kind of a like when he came up with the Yankees, there was a lot of pressure. I mean, he, he was great out of the gate with the Yankees, but there was a lot of pressure from the sports writers for him to kind of be you know, more forthcoming as an interview subject to, you know, be more jovial and talking to them about what happened at the game. And, you know, and, and as I said at the beginning of this podcast, like Thurman absolutely loved the game, but what he did not love is talking about it, especially to reporters. He, you know, he felt like what he did on the field should speak for himself. Uh, and then he felt that the clubhouse was his home. And if you're coming and getting in his face and asking him, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Um, he felt that was an invasion of his personal space and, and, and uh, you know, on, in an area where he should have been able to relax and feel comfortable. So, I mean, he was, he was kind of a jerk 
mean, he was very definitely a jerk to a lot of sports writers. And then that sort of compounded things because, of course, they would write in the paper about what a jerk he was. And then that would give him more reason to be a jerk. So it just kind of snowballed. And, you know, it's it's surprising to me that he even won the MVP award in 76, because by that time, his reputation with the writers was well established and they would have had ample reason to to, you know, to, to not vote for him just on the basis of, you know, his surliness. But so I, I think that that really was a huge strike against him when it came to, to, to all fan voting. I think a lot of you know, I think there are a lot of uh, people who had Hall of Fame votes who were kind of, if not happy that he was dead, happy that they didn't have to deal with him anymore, and um, and 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 were still smarting from, you know, verbal dressing downs or or you know whatever you know he did to them, um, you know, and that's unfortunate, but I get it. Um, so I, I think that that's a big thing. Obviously, you know, from you know, he was not, you know, as we've mentioned, he did, did not hang around a long, long enough to put up, you know, really impressive numbers. He did not, um, you know, uh, even while he, I think he hit 20 home runs only once uh, in, in his career. Um, you know, that, that, that there aren't that many Hall of Famers who have fewer plate appearances than he does, you know, career-wise. Uh, I think it's like maybe 10. Um, so, you know, so, so I, I, I get all that. And like we talked early, or earlier, it, you know, there was a lot of talk about his career being, you know, like, you know, he was running out of gas by the time he died anyway. So how much more could he have added to the, those numbers? So that, that's all valid to me. But I think that there's, there's so much else to Thurman than, you know, whether those, you know, those numbers stack up, um, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, I, you know, if you look at, at J, the work Jay Jaffe has done, you know, with his, his Jaws rankings and, and, you know, Thurman, uh, Thurman is number 12 on, on Jay's Jaws rating, uh, you know, and, and that, it, so that puts him ahead of several catchers who actually are in the hall, including Roy Campanella, um, and, you know, he's right behind uh, Cochran, Vicky Cochran, and right behind Ted Simmons, and ahead of Roger Bresnahan and Ernie Lombardi and uh, Buck Ewing. I mean, you know, th these are not guys from his era, so, you know, maybe not, maybe it's hard to compare them that way, but, like, clearly, th there's, there's a lot of research that's been done that shows that, you know, he's worthy of the conversation and, and in fact, may in fact belong. And for me, you know, I'm, like, you know, so much of my writing is like, I'm as much about, you know, the social context of the era, the and you know, and the just like, how these players were viewed in their time. And, you know, like with that sporting news thing, I mean, like Thurman was considered, you know, in the 70s, when he played, Thurman was considered one of the greats. And he was this iconic player who you know led the Yankees, this iconic franchise, to three straight pennants, to two straight World Series uh, championships. I mean, that's greatness. You know, you want a hall, a hall of Fame. You know, what is the Hall of Fame? Like, is it just about guys who put out, you know, who who reach, you know, these plateaus and statistical columns X, Y, and Z? 
or is it you know about the overall package and what they brought to the game what they brought to their teams you know i i feel like like you know i, I understand that like people people get defensive about the whole thing it's like oh, it's only for the greats it's only for the greats it's only for the legends well thurman was a legend thurman was a great and like can you you know okay we're making the case for putting him in the hall of fame can you make a case for how his presence in the hall of fame would diminish the hall of fame i don't think you can yeah. this is not like like oh we're putting fran healy in the hall of fame or <laughs> you know you know so some some scrub catcher you know this is this is a guy who is legitimately one of the greats of his era you know why not why not put him in the hall of fame how is how is that going to ruin things for you I don't think it will. Yeah. So, so Dan kind of final verdict here, two questions real quick. One, do you think Thurman Munson belongs in the hall of fame? And two, do you think he'll actually ever get into the hall of fame? Uh, question number one. Yes. I think Thurman Munson belongs in the hall of fame. Question number two, do I think he'll get in there? It's, I don't know. I, I, I hope so. Um, it's so tough to say. I mean, there's, there's so much that goes on in the voting um and you know that, that i don't really you know i can't really speak to I, I mean there are so many other players that i feel like should be in the hall of fame i don't understand why lou whitaker is not in the hall of fame i don't understand why dick allen is not in the hall of fame um i kind of understand why dave parker isn't in the hall of fame but i think he should be in the hall of fame i mean you know i i, I again like like you know as if is it You've probably guessed by now, I'm a big hall of guy. Like, I think, you know, I, I don't think it should just be like, you know, two or three guys per generation, you know, or, or just like such absolute godlike greatness. They get in, everybody else take a walk. I think, I think the, the people, you know, who define their era, who are, you know, players that other players feared to face, you know, uh, uh, pitchers feared to face when they were on the mound, guys that, that, that um, you know, other players just flat out respected and were like, oh man, we got to face these guys. We get, you know, they've got, you know, they've got Thurman Munson, like that this is, you know, we're already up against it. You know, I, I feel like those kind of people who really made a lasting mark, you know, in their era and Thurman unquestionably did, uh, I think those people should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, Dan, um, before we get you out of here, um, the captain of me on and off the field with Thurman Munson, when can people find it on Amazon? I'm sure anywhere else you get books. It, it, uh, it comes out April 20th, although you can already pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, uh, pretty much uh, books a million, pretty much, you know, anywhere in your local bookstore, it's, it's coming out on Triumph Books. So any bookstore can, can order it. Uh, it's me, me and Ron Bloomberg. It's basically, it's about, just to give you a quick synopsis. Yeah, please do. Like Ron, Ron Bloomberg and Thurman Munson kind of came up to the Yankees more or less at the same time. They were back-to-back -back number one draft picks. They were both kind of considered, they, they were both drafted number one by the Yankees at a time when the Yankees were at their you know, lowest point in their entire history. And these were the guys that were kind of, you know, they were the ones who were supposed to lead the Yankees back to the promised land. And Thurman did it and Ron didn't because Ron, although a really good hitter, uh, there were several things that kind of got in his way, including 
he was very injury prone and he kind of missed the bus completely like the the, the, the bus to the playoffs and he, he hurt himself really badly in 75 hurt himself again in 76 hurt himself again in 77 basically missed two and a half seasons uh with the yankees and and so had to kind of watch as thurman and the yankees ascended to greatness and he was stuck in the trainer's room um but what's what was so compelling to me about their story was that, that they were best Ron and Thurman were best of friends and all through this time where Ron was struggling. I mean, you know, as any athlete would, who's, you know, worked all their lives to achieve this greatness and, you know, through no fault of their own, wind up, you know, hurt and, and, and uh, on the bench, Thurman really kind of took care of him. Thurman, uh, you know, worked every day to keep his spirits up and keep him. It was just like, you know, like Ron, you're, you'll be back. You're, you're going to, you know, Bloomy, you got this, like, we're, we're pulling for you, you just got to work at it, you'll be back, you know, and, and Thurman, again, like Thurman had so much else on his plate in 75, 76, 70, and 77, where it's like, he was dealing with Steinbrenner, he was dealing with Billy Martin, he was dealing with Reggie Jackson, he was dealing with all kinds of craziness in the clubhouse, and here's the captain of the team who's, dealing with the pitchers who's, you know, every game he's got to prepare for. And yet every day he made time to hang out with Ron Bloomberg and like get his head right and make sure that he was, you know, he, he was not spiraling into depression, that he was not giving up. And that, you know, that just told me so much about who Thurman Munson was. And I think anybody who reads this book will, will learn, you know, will get a whole new picture, you know, that's, Thurman wasn't just the surly dude who hated talking to reporters and you know wanted to get into a fist fight with Carlton Fisk. He was also a really generous and gentle dude who was very you know who cared about his teammates and cared about um, and cared about people. And and so you know I walked away from this project feeling like wow like this you know I I was I was a kid I was a Thurman Munson fan when Thurman was playing. And I didn't understand any of this about him. So it, it was really eye-opening. And I feel like anybody who reads this book will come away with a much broader picture of who Thurman Munson was. Well, I know I look forward to reading it again. It comes out on 420. Dan, I got to ask, is that on purpose? It comes out on 420 or is that just a coincidence? It's just a total coincidence. And really? Both, both, both Thurman and Ron were completely not... Not, I mean, there were there were a lot of players in the seventies who liked to smoke weed. Well, Thurman why, and Ron yeah. were not those guys. All right. uh, Th Thurman liked liked a few beers. Uh, Ron actually didn't drink at all uh, most of the time. So, uh, but there is a good story in there about uh, Thurman giving Ron a greenie, which uh, uh, with with hilarious consequences. So, so there there is a little bit of drug humor in the book, just not of the four twenty variety. All right. So again, it was the captain of me on and off the field with Thurman Munson comes out 420. Make sure you check that out. Dan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. Me too, Jim. Thanks so much. All right. So I want to thank Dan again for joining the podcast today. Really enjoyed having him on. I could have talked to him for another hour, um, but you, you might've noticed, right. I didn't get my final verdict at the end. I wanted to give Dan a little bit of time to talk about his book and I didn't want to sacrifice that for me to get my verdict. So I'll give it here now.
Do I think Thurman Munson is a Hall of Famer? I do. I think Thurman's peak was Hall of Fame worthy. He passed away and didn't get to finish out his career. I don't think that should be held against him. You look at his numbers, you go, he didn't play long. He doesn't have the numbers, but his his peak numbers are Hall of Fame numbers, and you can't really argue with it. Like His top seven peak war years at the catcher position, eighth highest of all time at, at the catcher position, okay? It's really good. He's only one of 12 catchers to win the MVP award. That's that's very good. Two like he has the hardware, right? He has the MVP award. He has a rookie of the year award, three gold gloves, seven all-star appearances, two World Series appearances. And he's just one of the best. When it comes to the postseason, he's one of the best, if not the best, catcher ever to play in the postseason, both at, on the defensive and offensive side, side of you know, both both offense and defense. Postseason, just a stud. I think that matters a lot. I, I don't like war does not consider postseason play. And when it comes to the postseason, none of these other catchers, even Johnny Bench, uh, you can't hold them. Like Munson was the best postseason catcher of all time 30 games, three home runs, 22 RBIs, 357 career batting average. If you look at the other catchers, none of them come close. And then when you look at the defensive side um, of his game, he's the best defensive catcher to play in the postseason. I think that matters a lot. I think that gets overshadowed. I think, I, I don't know. I just don't think that's being put into his can enough. So I think Thurman Munson is a Hall of Famer. I think he played long enough to warrant Hall of Fame um, worth. So I think Thurman Munson is a Hall of Famer. Do I think he'll ever get in, though? I don't. I don't think he's getting in the Hall of Fame. As Dan mentioned, not many catchers are in the Hall of Fame today. It's an extremely underrepresented position. And the fact that three players from his decade, now with 10 Simmons getting in, so three catchers are all from the 70s, and there's under 20 catchers in the Hall of Fame today, I can't see, I can't foresee them putting a fourth in from that air. I just can't. So do I think Munson will get in the Hall of Fame? I don't. I I think people are going to get hung up on the lack of all-time stats. I think people get hung up. We can't put another catcher from the 70s in. But I think advanced metrics show that Munson deserves to be in. I think his postseason play, I think being the best catcher in MLB history in the postseason matters a lot. He also won an MVP award, and he made seven all-star teams. Even though he passed away, he really only played, what, 10 seasons in, in the MLB, 70 to 79. He made seven all-star teams. He was an all-star almost every time he was in the league. He was one of the best defensive catchers um, in history. He was a great contact hitter at the catcher position. But I don't think he gets in. So that's my verdict for Munson. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he gets in, unfortunately. But he is an all-time guy in my book. Uh, one of the better Yankees of all time, which, I get, again, that, I think that goes against him, right, too. Like, he, 
if he plays for another franchise, he's one of the best players in that franchise. Maybe we look at him differently, but he plays for the Yankees. So when you're when you're you know putting him against DiMaggio, Mantle, Ruth, Gehrig, Jeter, he gets lost right in the shuffle. But if he would have played his whole career for, I don't know, the the Cleveland Indians. Now he's one of the best Indians of all time, right? He's one of the best Cleveland Indians players. Like one of the top, maybe he's on Cleveland Indian Rushmore. Or he plays for, honestly, my Chicago Cubs have some all-time greats, but you play for the Cubs. We're probably talking about Ernie Banks. We're talking about Billy Williams. Then we're talking about maybe Thurman Munson. Playing for the Yankees could actually hurt Thurman Munson because he's not on Yankee Rushmore. He's not one of the best Yankees of all time. But but is, should that be held against him? I don't, I don't know. So I think that hurts him, honestly. But yeah, Munson, Hall of Famer in my book, not a Hall of Famer, probably by Cooperstown standards. If he ever gets in, I'd be super happy for him. I just don't think it happens. That's my final verdict. Baseball is back. We're happy. We'll be back with more baseball episodes soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dan, again for coming on. If you don't already, subscribe. Leave us a review. And we will talk to you next time.